to today's podcast, today's Voices of Conservation Science, and I'm Chris Guy, your host for today's podcast. This podcast focuses on people doing science that's then used to conserve natural resources. This podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. And today I'm here with Lauren McGarvey, and she is a graduate student at Montana State University in the Department of Ecology. Lauren, how are you doing today? Great. Good. Thanks for having me today. You bet. It's a beautiful day out there. Yeah, gorgeous. I mean, it's what, 50 degrees. It was. I thought it was supposed to be sunnier, but it, the sun yeah. didn't quite make it. At least it's warm out. Yeah, it's melting. No snow. Little, melting the snow, yeah. Um, let's start off by you just telling us a little bit about yourself. So I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I grew up in Punxsutawney. Yes, that's where Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil lives, and we got the day off school and... Everything was great. So did you get to, I mean, so Puxatani Phil was, I mean, he was like the icon. Was your high school named after Phil? Yeah. yeah. Well, we weren't like the groundhogs. We were the chucks. Okay. <laughs> it was a little more intimidating, I guess. So yeah, everything in Puxatani is very focused on the groundhog. Yeah. It brings in a lot of tourism, surprisingly. Is it really? I mean, like. Yeah. Thousands of thousands, people? Thousands, like 30,000 wow. people sometimes. Holy cow. <laughs> wow. And you got the day off school. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, nice. Yeah, so it was great. Yep. But after I finished high school, I went to Grove City College, also in Pennsylvania, and got my bachelor's in biology. And while I was there, I had an internship with Trout Unlimited, working with the Eastern Abandoned Mine Program. So I did that for a summer. And then my... Let's see, my senior summer, or I guess my junior summer, I got an internship in Yellowstone National Park as a student conservation association intern. So I came out here and worked for a summer, and that's when I decided I wanted to move out here after graduation. And then I came out after I graduated and worked as a fisheries technician with the National Park Service in Yellowstone. So Trout Unlimited, you worked with Trout Unlimited in in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. on, wouldn't you say, a reclaimed mine? It was a, the Eastern Abandoned Mine Program. Okay. So they worked a lot with reclaimed mines and also treating mines as well. So most of what we did was map the distribution of native brook trout populations throughout mm-hmm. the state. And we we're working in conjunction with the Pennsylvania Fishing Game to just get an idea of where all the native brook trout populations were at mm-hmm. that point. So that's great. So um, you, then you came out to Yellowstone and you were like, this is where I want to be. Is that, is that? Yeah, I just yeah. couldn't imagine. I love the East and I love growing up there. But after playing around the mu- in the mountains for a summer, I just couldn't imagine going back mm-hmm. and living there. So yeah. I moved out here, spent a couple of years working with the Park Service and Eventually, I got accepted to graduate school here at MSU. So what compelled you to start this career in conservation? It must have started back when you were in Pennsylvania. So trying to think about what was kind of the, maybe there was a a particular individual, group of individuals, or something you did that kind of compelled you to start that career, which started with with Trout Unlimited in in Pennsylvania, maybe. Yeah, so when I was young, my family for vacations we would go camping so I spent a lot of time outside over the summers and I had an older brother that had he was studying forestry at 
Penn State and he would take me around and identify trees with him for fun. So I was just kind of a little nerd. And then I went to college and I actually really didn't know much about ecology. I hadn't wasn't really something I encountered very much in high school. And I was actually on a pre-med track, but I had to take a just like a basic biology class and the professor was an ecologist and so that's what he focused on a lot. And just like one day after class, I just started talking to him like, wait, so people do these sort of things for a living? <laughs> we just talked about it for a while. And then eventually another professor recommended this internship to me about with Child Unlimited. And I took it. I didn't really have any idea what I was getting into. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is what I should do. That's awesome. And so then that kind of inspired you to to make this trek out out west and then start uh, graduate school here at Montana State University. Mm-hmm. So a little bit about uh, your research project um, here at Montana State University. What are you working on? So I'm studying non-lethal tools to assign sex and stage maturity in burbot. What burbot? What's, yeah. what's a burbot? So a burbot, a lot of people in Montana call them ling. Mm-hmm. It is freshwater cod fun fact and <laughs> yeah i guess if you've never seen one the good way to describe them is they're almost they almost look like an eel they're kind of slimy and mm-hmm. dark green and have these cool green lighter green patterns on them so they're, cool they're actually a did you say freshwater cod mm-hmm, the only one so um, you know cod are pretty popular fish in marine systems because of how they taste is that the same for the freshwater this burbot? Yeah, it depends on who you ask. Um, I mean, one of their common names is poor man's lobster, so I think hmm. they taste good. I haven't tried one yet, but I talk to people, especially people from Alaska, that they love them, and that's that's a very popular fishery up there. But then I know a guy from North Dakota, and he says they're trash fish, and he brings <laughs> them on the ice. <laughs> so I don't know uh, who to believe. Well, we won't go down that road. <laughs> So you're working on burbot and um, what do you, what, what, what are you studying? Why are you studying burbot? I'm studying them because they are not sexually dimorphic, which means you can't tell males and females apart. And also the, how often they spawn depends on the population. So one population could spawn every year. Another population could spawn every other year. And the, Burbot population that I'm specifically working with is in Washington, and the I'm working with a confederated tribe of the Colville Reservation, and they don't know much about this burbot population, so they're interested in understanding in more depth the reproductive structure and how often these fish spawn. Mm-hmm. So that's they contracted the Tech Center to do this research. For and them. what's what's the Tech Center? The Bozeman Fish Technology Center is. A U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service facility located out just outside of Bozeman, and there's all kinds of research going on mm-hmm. over there. But I'm specifically working with uh, Molly Webb, and she's a reproductive physiologist, so she's the head on this project. So, trying to figure out, I guess the did you say reproductive strategy or reproductive cycle? Is that what you said? Yeah. Or, it's often called spawning periodicity. Okay, spawning periodicity. And I guess 
you have to know whether you're working with a male or female burbot to understand the spawning periodicity of males and females. I'm guessing they're different. And so that's a big part of your project is trying to figure out whether you have a, if you have a, ma- a burbot in your hand, is that a male burbot or a female burbot, right? Yeah, that's a huge question. Cause like I said before, you can't tell unless that fish is obviously spawning. And right now what they have to do is actually kill the fish to look mm. at, the gonads mm-hmm. so they're trying to move away from that and looking at these non-lethal tools which i guess i haven't even mentioned what tools i'm looking at um, yeah, that's what i was going to ask <laughs> is so how do you figure out whether the fish is a is a male or a female two ways that we're using are blood samples and ultrasound so you can take a blood sample from a fish you can then measure specific steroids in that blood sample so two steroids that we're looking at are testosterone and estradiol and depending on the levels of the steroids in that sample, you can tell if it's a male or a female. Hmm. And so you you draw the blood, and then you put that blood in some fancy machine or something, and it tells you how much testosterone and estradiol. <laughs> I wish it were that easy. No, so you take a blood sample, and then if you're still in the field, you'll just centrifuge it to separate the plasma mm-hmm. from the blood, and then you can freeze it. And later on in the lab, we use what is called radioimmunoassay. And you actually use radioactive elements to bind to the steroids and use that to quantify um, how much steroid is in your sample, either testosterone or estradiol. And that's, it's a process. So mm-hmm. if you're really good at it, you can get a sample done in three days, three to five days. One so. sample? Oh, I'm sorry. So okay. like if you're measuring testosterone and mm-hmm. you can measure testosterone or estradiol at once mm-hmm. and you could measure that across 53 samples. Okay. Yeah. And so that sounds pretty scary dealing with uh, radioactive material, but you're safe, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's, it's very safe. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. I don't worry about it. <laughs> so you're using uh, that um, um, blood chemistry and that is a tool are there any other tools that you're using because i'm kind of thinking about you know um when i had a um one of our dogs was pregnant we had a um, ultrasound and we used that ultrasound to see how many puppies there were in our in our dog and i'm wondering is is there kind of a way that you could use something like an ultrasound machine or something to to be able to tell whether it's a male or female i'm guessing the parts inside the fish are different that's i I, i've I've had a few biology classes (laughs) i'm glad you know that (laughs) yes so we're actually using an ultrasound and you're exactly right the parts within the males and females are very different in the way they look so using the ultrasound, we can detect those physical differences between the gonads. And so far, I've had 96% accuracy in assigning sex using the ultrasound. Oh, that's great. So yeah. do you think you, then you could get away from using the blood chemistry and just using the the ultrasound? It sounds a little safer than the dealing with radioactive <laughs> material. For well, some reason, I'm nervous about yeah, that, it's, especially it's, for you. <laughs> well, thank you. It's a very safe process, and the lab we work in takes all the proper precautions. Very, very safe. Um, you could. It would depend on your goal. If your goal was to just identify sex and mm-hmm. you had an ultrasound, that would be great. Mm-hmm. But if you're also looking 
to identify if that fish is reproductive or not. Plasma <laughs> sex steroids might be better. I don't know yet. I haven't finished my my research. <laughs> but by the end of my research, we'll, we should know if you can also use the ultrasound to determine if a fish is reproductive or not reproductive. That kind of... Yeah, and I think that's a good seg. No, that's a good segue into kind of the next question is if if you had a crystal ball and can predict kind of what 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 your um project is going to end or maybe even better yet, what's the best thing that you could discover from your project? Mm, best thing I could discover from my project. Um one thing that I'm working on now or We've been trying to figure out how you can use the ultrasound to not only assign sex, but also, like I was mentioning, assign stage of maturity or just simply determine if that fish will spawn or not. Mm -hmm. So that's been tricky. Uh, A couple ideas that we had haven't worked. So one thing we're doing right now is measuring gonad size using the ultrasound. It's pretty cool. You can actually outline the gonad using a function on the ultrasound and it will tell you the measurement. So we're interested in, does a larger gonad mean that that fish will spawn? Mm -hmm. Because as fish prepare to spawn, their gonads become larger. So we're trying to catch that relationship using the ultrasound. And so just kind of reiterating to the listeners, what's most important about this project and how does it relate to kind of the management of burbot in Lake Roosevelt? So how will folks use your information to to um, manage this species i get i get that we're trying to better understand you know if we can tell when we have a fish in our hand whether it's a male or female but how's that connect back to the management well i'm giving them tools to determine like i said uh certain things such as reproductive structure and spawning periodicity and they can use this information to have a better understanding of the productiveness of this burbot population in Lake Roosevelt right now they don't have a good understanding of it and they're not sure if they have the best harvest limits or if those limits could be say increased or decreased to better suit this population okay with you with respect to graduate school or even your project are there some hurdles that you've had to overcome um, maybe with sampling or something like that, learning how to deal with radioactive material. See, I'm back on that for some reason. Yeah. But, I mean, just, we, you know, we know that getting into graduate school can be a, a little bit challenging. So just I'm wondering if you've had to overcome any hurdles, whether it's getting into graduate school or your research in general. Yeah, well, the biggest one was just getting into grad school. But since I've gotten in, just my project, everything in my project was completely new to me. It's, I'd never done any of it. And just learning how to bleed a fish was really hard. <laughs> they, um, yeah, they don't like to, you can't just tell them to sit still. They yeah, like to flop I've, around. <laughs> I've actually tried to do that a little bit with uh, Molly Webb and, uh, I'm I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I feel yeah. sorry for the fish. And sometimes when I go to the doctor and they can't get blood out of me the first time, I kind of understand how what the fish is going through. Yeah. Yeah. So I would just say learning, like bleeding the fish or learning how to do a radio immunoassay. Mm-hmm. Those, those are all very difficult things for me. It just took time to learn. Yeah. But 
Isn't that part of the fun of being in school though? And, and yeah. graduate education is just, you're exposed to something yeah. brand new. I think that's, yeah. that's exciting too. It's, it's a hurdle yet. It's a hurdle worth jumping over, I guess. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. So the last question I have for you is, um, we can I have fun with this one. What's your favorite animal or plant? And I guess you could pick one of both if you want. <laughs> one of both. Yeah. yeah, this is a hard question. I feel like it changes all the time. Um, I think my favorite animal would have to be the brook trout because I am from Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah, I was thinking it might be Chuck. <laughs> I, mean, I love Punxsutawney Phil too, but not as much as Brook Trout. Okay. Um, yeah, and I just, the spawning colors of Brook Trout, it's just so vibrant. And I just think they're beautiful fish. And I really enjoyed fishing for them back in Pennsylvania. Well, Lauren, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today, and I wish you the best uh, in your studies at Montana State University and your research on Urbit. Um, thanks for listening to today's Voices of Conservation Science, and please spread the word about this podcast. All right. Thank you, Chris.